I think it is fair to say that the, the relative cost of higher education, let's say 18 years out, let's pick out that newborn uh, little boy or girl and they're, they're interested in going off to college the fall of their 18th year. Um, I think on a relative basis, college will be cheaper then. Ballast Office in Lexington, Kentucky. Welcome to The Ballast Life, a series of conversations highlighting respected professionals, community leaders, and important topics that are necessary to achieving financial cohesion. Hello, everybody. This is Andy Reynolds, COO and financial advocate from Ballast. Today is April 13th, 2020, and I am honored to be joined by Center College President John Rausch, um, who was the president uh, currently, and while I was there, my alma mater, and uh, John Boardman's alma mater at Center College. So, President Rausch, it is an honor to have you here, and we really appreciate it. Honor's mine, and, and I hope I can accomplish something with you that has value. Absolutely. Well, before we uh, jump into things, I, I just wanted to kind of share with everybody some memories I have of you. You know, you're, you're one of the people that I look up to the most and have the most amount of respect for, um, you know, I'll never forget back to my freshman year of college, having dessert with you in your backyard, along with the entire freshman class. And a week or two later, you stopping me on the sidewalk and saying hello to me and calling me by my name, which, which I think many center students have that memory of. And, you know, and your quotes of, you know, do your best, be your best and, and no regrets. I just think you're, such an inspiration. So it's, it's truly an honor to, to have you be a part of this today. Um, we're we're going to cover a lot of different topics, but before we get going, um, many people may not know this is your last year at Center, um, uh, going back to 1998, um, and, and you know, Center is definitely in a much better position because of you being a part of that. When you think back to Center and, and, and college as a whole, um, what are you most proud of and, and what has also been the hardest thing that, that you've had to do within your tenure at Center? Okay, um, most proud of. You know, I, you know when I uh, arrived in, on July 1st of uh, 1998, which by the way is my 48th birthday, um, I suppose my goal in, in large part was to try to leave it better and I found it. I, I had no notion that I would be in this job for 22 years. Um, um, so how does one measure that? Um, if you will, the number, the quality, the diversity of the students and the faculty and the staff um, who are here are in, in all ways that you might measure, they're, they're stronger. Um, I, I don't know that they're better people, but, but they're stronger, uh, they're more capable uh, of accomplishing more going forward. And, and I, I like that. Um, we're a campus of now 1,400 plus students. When I got here, we were 1,000 even. Um, we've added about $150 million into our physical plant, which it needed. Um, and I'm real proud of, of the fact that we really look like a campus that uh, is profoundly strong, all about students and, and helping them become prepared for their life of work and service. So we're, we're simply better at all the things that we were really good at before. And I, I want to be clear, the only thing I'll take credit for in all that, Andy, is, is a guy who was at the top of the, of the uh, leadership role here. But, but this is really a result of, 
un unbelievable um, giving and at the sacrificial level on the part of our alumni and friends of the college, a decision by a cascade, thousands of young people who decided that Center College should be their college home and then come in here and work hard and go out and do something that counts with their lives. And that's what I'm, I'm kind of most proud of is leaving it better than I found it some 22 years ago. Just thinking about the bigger picture, um, it, Susie has been, your wife has been so impactful to the campus life and, and to you and, and to, the, to the school, I'm sure in more ways than any of us would ever know. One question I would ask, what, what does that look like from her perspective? What is her desire in, in, in that role and, and what does she get out of that role? Well, let me say, first of all, that, you know, Susie's involvement in the life of this institution goes far beyond what has been the normal spouse involvement, whether it was a man or a woman. Um, it's because she simply cares so deeply about young people. Um, she, at her core, is a teacher, educator, counselor, um, mom, and uh, she often refers to our students as being, you know, kind of her larger-than-life family, um, and she cares deeply about the young people who come here, uh, she cheers for them, she encourages them, she spends time with them. Um, so it's been for us a team experience and it has certainly made my work much more enjoyable and fun and productive. So I, I owe her and the college owes her a great debt for having made that choice because she did not have to. She doesn't get paid. Um, she's not on the payroll, would not want to be because she doesn't see that as being her way of doing it. Uh, but her involvement in the life of this institution and in my life has been profoundly good. Yeah. And I, I mean, I would mimic that as a student. You know, it, it, it's funny. I think she, it was Susie and P. Roush is kind of yeah. how, how everybody <laughs> refer to you guys as. And around campus, I mean, I, I will never forget just thinking of sitting down in the dining hall and there you guys were on a Friday night having dinner together or in the gym coming to the basketball game so it's a testament to um, how you guys handled being um, part of the campus and, and and it being a part of a way of life not a job um, and, and it's a testament to to her as well because as you mentioned she, she certainly did not have to choose that role um, but it's something that she cared deeply about um, and and it was evident. She, no one had to say that. It, the actions spoke for themselves. It, it's been you know, whatever success I've had. I I, uh, I, uh, I know I've worked hard, and and that's just kind of the way I'm put together. But but I don't I don't have this this illusion that that it um, it's all about me. I, I I just I don't. That's just not the way I was brought up. It's not it's not how I view life. It's about us. And uh, right. And I feel that that very much uh, to be the case in the work. And whatever success uh, we've had here at centers it's, it's been a team experience and and, uh, and Susie's role as a part of that team has been pivotal and then what so what was the hardest part um, I suppose I'd, I'd, I'd call three things off um, and it won't surprise you at, at this time because the third one I'm going to call off is, is the situation we find ourselves in now um, but in my time as president 9-11 um, uh, was a showstopper of monumental proportions, but it was a uh, that was a remarkable time in in the history of our nation and our world, and um, 
I think our college handled that in a remarkably strong, powerful, uh, positive way. And then you leap forward to 2008-9, the, what was really a national recession of real consequence. Uh, we were able to navigate that in a remarkable way, and that takes us to today. Um, this uh, COVID-19 um, situation is, is quite uh, dire and urgent, and uh, we're in the process of making our way through that. And in all cases, I think Center's response by its board, uh, by its faculty, staff, and students, and, uh, and my part in the administration of that effort has been uh, good to, to very good. Um, I, don't, I don't use the word great as much as I used to <laughs> these days. Um, sure. I, think, I think people need to make that evaluation later. Um, mm -hmm. I think what we've done in those three things I called off was really first-rate good work. Um, I think that's what we're doing now. So that, those are three things I would call off as kind of my greatest challenges. Uh, there have been other, uh, lots of, lots of um, uh, victory, uh, occasional defeat, um, but I'll stop with that. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. We've had this uh, call scheduled for, for a while now, and well before the, the coronavirus was even a popular term. Um, and it, it just happened that this, this transitioned so quickly. Mm -hmm. um, but how fortunate we are to, to kind of have your insights onto this, because I know there are a lot of questions and whether it's the for profit or the not for profit or colleges or wherever one might be. Um, this is definitely changing things. And and I, I think from what I've as an outsider's perspective, what I've heard from Center is things of you guys have handled it and you've done a, a good job, as, as you stated. You know, when we were talking the other day, you had mentioned you guys want to come out of this better. And, and not just get through it, you want to come out of it uh, and, and be in a better position. Going back a little bit, as you guys were entering into COVID-19 and, and starting to realize, okay, this is a problem we have to deal with, can you kind of explain to us what, what, were, the, what were the conversations like behind the scenes? And, and, and I know you're still in the midst of it, um, right. thinking about the fall semester and the summer and getting through this semester. What, what is that like and having to be decisive and prompt because it's moved so quickly. Um, what was that like from the administrative side and, and behind the scenes? Yeah, the, um, well, let me divide it up into three parts. That won't surprise you. Um, the first thing was, you know, when, when it started to occur and, and we became alert to it, you know, we started to make some adjustments um, appropriately on, on campus in terms of how we were handling some of our work, how we were asking our students to behave around each other. But, you know, as a nation generally, um, we started off on, on a bit of a walk, and then it turned into a sprint uh, pretty quick. But the three things I would call off that were really profound decisions we made. One, one, one was to send our students home. Um, mm -hmm. we had that, that occurred over a period, really, of a very few days. Uh, Andy, I was kind of watching what was going on, trying to imagine how, you know, I, I really felt, and I think still feel in large part, that many of our students are safer here than they were to the places we sent them home. Um, sure. We've still got 100 students on campus who can't get home. About 67 yeah. of our foreign students simply cannot uh, get home, and they're, they're safer here. And we got about another 30 students for different reasons who are still with us and, and, and probably will be until we would finish the term here on or about May 15. And, um, but that decision occurred really over the course of a weekend. Um, 
and we simply judged that we were we were not going to be in a position to maintain our operation and and, and stay within both the, the spirit of and the letter of the law. And so we sent our students home in an orderly fashion with a clear expectation that they would be permitted uh, to finish their academic work uh, online, which is something, you know, we don't do. So in a period of, of two weeks, we had to figure out how we would help our, our faculty and our students be able to complete their academic work online while giving up all the rest of the excitement and fun and joy associated with the spring term. That was the first thing we did. The second thing we've done then has to do with execution. We have been really intentional to try to help our students you know, not, not be able to mirror what they would have had if they were here. We've acknowledged from the start that it was going to be a very different kind of intellectual experience for them. Um, probably underestimated that a little bit. Um, I, I said from the start, Andy, that I thought our, uh, and in fact I think all of online education is very uneven. Some faculty members do it very well, others don't do it very well at all. Some students um, kind of accommodate to it quite easily, some others it's really a struggle. Um, right. So you know, I, and that's what we're running into in these first couple weeks as we've gone online. It's, it's not a surprise to me because I'm the one who said way back in the day when we started down this trail, it was going to be really uneven. And we were finding that to be true, probably more true than I expected. And then the third thing, which is probably the one I'm spending most of my time focused on now, and the senior team here is doing the same, is what's this going to look like in the fall? If we can, even financially, um, we were, we're okay in the spring. Um, we were able to do some things uh, with our operation to allow us to finish the term in, in, uh, in a financial position that is, is probably the envy of anybody else you might talk to. But... Mm -hmm. What does that mean? What's that feel like in the fall? And uh, that's the one where I, you know, it, it's still a little hard and we're in the process of getting our head around what we will do if we're not permitted to open up as a residential undergraduate college on or about August 20. Um, and of course, I won't even be here then. <laughs> so I'm, right. I'm having to project what this will look like for my successor, Milton Moreland, who is a very good man and will do a very good job. But he's uh, he's been handed a pretty <laughs> meager deck of cards. And um, <laughs> yeah. so I think, you know, we're going to make some of these decisions as we get closer to that date. Um, if we can't open, then, then how will we operate? Because we're going to operate. Um, yeah. we've, got, we've got some contingency plans that we can roll out, then trying to figure out how we price that. What's it feel like and look like to the students? Why would they want to come? And uh, we're spending a considerable amount of time on that. So back to my three parts, the decision to, to send them away and reboot how we would educate them, those are two of our first decisions that mattered much and I would give us a good grade, not excellent, not, not, not great, um, a good grade. Uh, what we do in the fall of, of 20, I think is sort of our next big decision and that's a work in progress. When do you think the fall decision has to be made by? Um, not, not committing to a timeline by any means, but when you start to think about ramping up to if it is an e-learning model, how, how far in advance do you think you have to make that decision? Um, hmm. You know, I, uh, I've said all along that um, from the very start, that time is our friend here. And, um, 
And this, this from the guy, and you know me, who wants everything done yesterday. I mean, I, I, at my core, I'm an incredibly impatient person. Um, you know, I, I, I just, it's who I am. Been that way since I was a little boy. But this is at one of those times when I think we have to moderate that desire to know uh, by tomorrow and, in fact, realize that, that we're going to have to take some additional time. Time's our friend. We, we, you know, we know so much know now more about COVID-19 than we did two weeks ago, than we did a month ago. And, uh, and so I have this feeling that we can, if we can buy a little bit more time, we'll be in a, presenter, a better position. Now, that said, Andy, I can promise you that we are, we're trying to imagine two or three different scenarios and begin to imagine how that would work, what would be required in advance, what is that deadline that you just asked about. Um, I don't think the deadline to decide whether we would try to open up um, with some kind of variation of distance education is just around the corner. It doesn't have to be decided next week, maybe even not before the month is out. You know, as you push into May and then begin to approach June, I think we're going to have to try to figure out, okay, what's it looking like to be back here in the fall? What's our, what's our level of assurance that we can open up with orientation on or about August 15? And Center College, while it might be a new normal, begins to look pretty normal. And um, so I think we've got a little bit of time, but not as much as we'd like. We, I know there's going to have to be some tough decisions made over the next um, four, to, four to five weeks. Yeah. I wanted to talk to you about e-learning and the future of college, and we'll, and we'll talk a little bit about debt and expenses here in, here in a second. But do you, when you're thinking about the future of college, maybe not next year, but five years from now, ten years from now, and the embrace of technology, um, and knowing that you know now there are 100% online colleges and you know bigger institutions that are more so embracing it. Um, do you think this has the potential to be the disruption to college that people have been thinking of or been waiting for? And, and if so, do you, do you think there is a model on the back end of this where every college has some degree of online learning? Or do you think this is a period of time we get through and then we all go back to where we were in the past? Well, I'll, I'll speak pretty clear. There, there's no going back. <laughs> to the mm -hmm. to the past as we knew it, and my, that's never really been true, you know, in in the history of of uh, humankind. And um, right. so here's here's what I think, and I, I can double you back to a speech, Andy, that I gave I don't know three four years ago, um, where I talked about even a college like Center, which is so highly personal and, and engaging, and you know, small classes, all the, all the things that you associate with a first-rate undergraduate college experience. And I said it at a, at a public meeting that I could imagine that Center College's graduates would be allowed, permitted, maybe even encouraged uh, to gather up as much as 25, 33% of their education online. Um, mm -hmm. And that would not change the core experience here to being deeply personal and engaging. Um, but they would have a chance to go get things in the educational experience, not just across America, but across the world that aren't available here. And I would hope, I hoped then and I would hope now, that Center College would have the confidence 
and the wherewithal to say, well, but of course we want you to do that. If you can go pick up a course <laughs> at a lesser known place like MIT um, okay. or, or Harvard or uh, the University of London and, um, and be able to take that course, uh, figure out a way to pay for it, um, and then have it be applied into your undergraduate experience at center for credit, and maybe even applicable to your major field, why wouldn't we say yes to that? You know, what, what would be the upside of, of saying no? And um, because if it's really based around giving our students the very best opportunity that we might in their undergraduate education, then why would we take off the table the prospect of them doing something that's profoundly good? Now, you notice I didn't say easy or convenient. That's not why I think, uh, that's not the model of how I imagine online distance education playing into the center experience. For me, it would all be about quality. They're going to go get something that we can't give them that is really of high value, improves the nature of their undergraduate work, maybe even their major, and we say yes. Um, mm -hmm. That's where how, how ironic now in 2020 we find ourselves maybe not with uh, being asked or allowed to do it, but being forced to do it. And um, yeah. so I don't think there's any going back to the normal as we knew it. Um, you know, that, that cat is out of the cage and, and he or she is roaming around. And uh, so my response back to center, if I were staying as it was three to five years ago, let, let's figure out the way to make this work to our advantage. Back to your point, to let it add some strength to our experience, not, not, not a negative, not, not a, um, something to be feared, uh, but how do we turn it into a positive uh, and then undergird that with this, again, this deeply personal kind of life-changing undergraduate experience that you can only get at a residential college like Center. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a great point. You know, part of it is the economics of college and, you know, can I get, what can I get for my dollar? Um, right. And, and, but the other part of college is this period of time where we as kids are growing up, becoming independent, testing the waters and doing it in a relatively safe environment. Um, sure. uh, and I think if the wholly online experience uh, is going to lack part of that um, and, and the growing aspect of, of a person, you know, I think back to my experiences at center and a big part of what I got the most out of center aside from the great, you know, thinking skills and, and education, but a big part of it was, being around similar peers with a similar drive who taught me how to be a better person. Um, and, and that's something it's hard to, to um, do if something's solely online. Um, however, you know, the thing that I wonder, and when we talk to clients about saving for college and whatnot, um, is at some point there's got to be a breaking point from a from an expense standpoint. You know, I have four little kids at home and just celebrated my two-year-old's birthday yesterday, and and I'm doing college projections for him, and it, it's it's just at some point it's it's not feasible. Um, right. So how how do we continue to offer that high-level experience, um, meshing in some online experience? Because right. I agree with you, it's it's changed. The cat's out of the bag, and the people who embrace embrace it well are going to survive, and those who don't are going to have challenges. Um, 
how do how do we do that but also be cognizant of what the future looks like from an from an expense standpoint and is there a breaking point at which there's a number and we just say we just can simply can't afford that and we have to be forced into this cheaper right. way of of doing it so let me let me cut this one up a little differently um you know the, the cost of education has, has been a runaway train for a long time um and if you understand the multiples of seven which most people don't um and and, and we, we went through a period of time 10 15 years ago where American College University really let their costs get completely out of control. Now, we did not do that at center, but we participated in it a touch and then backed off sooner than almost any place I know. That said, it's an expensive proposition for any family now to go to college, public or private. There, there, there was a time when the independent colleges, you know, it cost two and three times as much. Not anymore. And um, so here's what I would say in terms of where it's going. <laughs> in that same speech I gave about the role that online education, uh, distance learning might play in the life of an undergraduate student, even at a place like Center, I also called off that I thought we would find ourselves working in the direction of a three-year undergraduate degree. That has not materialized, Andy. I don't know that it's going to. I think that this may cause it to rebirth a touch. Is Can I get done in three? Because guess what? You, you, you cut your cost by at least 25%. And... Um, and, and then you have another year of, of earnings uh, built into your life experience. So it's, it's actually, I don't know what the, the actual number might be if you factored it out, but it's, it's substantial. That has not happened, um, not even at the big publics and certainly not at the independent, you know, undergraduate residential colleges like Center. We can't get students to leave early. And uh, yeah. even some of the ones that could graduate a term early or maybe even a year early, they don't do it. They, they want it to be a four-year experience. Uh, you know, this may test that idea again. What we've just gone through in the sense of wanting to get on with life and cut costs, the idea of the three-year or even three-and-a-half-year degree might resurface. We'll have to see if that happens. Um, in terms of cost containment, you know, the magic for us at Center has been to come alongside and virtually help almost every student uh, to pay for some part of college. The, the percentage of students that are here either on need-based aid, which is in the, the mid-60 percentile, and receiving some kind of aid, which is in the mid-90 percentile, um, virtually every student who comes here is, is getting some assistance to make the choice to come to Center College. That is not going to change. It's only going to increase. Um, I see us doing more with financial aid at Center rather than trying to come up with some sort of a price reset. If you look at the institutions that have done that, they haven't been very successful with it. And really, the net cost ends up being to the family almost the same. So I don't know that that's going to be the magic uh, going forward, but, but it's going to be tested. Somebody is going to come up with a, a formula that said, let's cut our costs back by 30% and then make ourselves more palatable to the average American family out there. But the family is really kind of playing them for the fool because you don't think they're going to figure out the difference. I mean, these are smart people. Right. And uh, so the biggest thing I think going forward is that we're going to have to, we're going to have to be smarter. Um, mm -hmm. We're going to have to allow students a greater flexibility on how they pay for it. Um, we're going to have to continue to pour mountains of financial aid into the experience, which we have done here at center. We have a lot of that in endowment 
for that specific purpose. If, if I worry, Andy, about, okay, the financials on this, um, my friend uh, up at Harvard um, called off a couple years back that he really thought the next time there was a crisis of sorts in American higher education, uh, Clay Christensen is his name, uh, that we might have as many as a third of America's college universities go bankrupt and, and out of business. Yeah. I think that number, that percentage is high. Um, I really do sadly, and I, I, I repeat, sadly, think that this current financial slash health crisis uh, will be a, a death knoll of sorts uh, for some percentage of the weakest among us, both public and private. And um, What's the percentage? I don't know. I don't think it's going to be a third. I think it could be as much as 10 or 15% of institutions that, that don't go out of business next year, but they're not here five years from now. And you can quote me on that. I, I think the, the percentage is more like 10 or 15% here in Kentucky, beyond Kentucky, some of the places where there's just an abundance of independent, small, Residential colleges like Ohio, I don't know how they can possibly keep all those places afloat. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Um, you, you know, when you one thing that I've very clearly recognized on campus, um, on multiple campuses, is the competition for the quality of the the dorms and the and the oh yeah or classrooms and whatnot. Um, and, and I find that very interesting and it just got me thinking, you know, so clearly there's competition within within the space and, you know, looking into the fall semester, if everyone all of a sudden is online, how do you differentiate yourself from an online institution and, and therefore if someone decides to come in and compete, you know, and all of a sudden I'm University of XYZ State and I'm going to provide my online experience for a third the cost of right. yours. You know, how does that impact an already potentially challenged school um, and, and is consolidation really a, a concern here? And, and, you know, I think I really wonder just kind of how this all plays into a system that, that already has some weaknesses um, and, and whatnot. You know, it's interesting about the, the cost structure that you're talking about. Uh, I think there have been some other unique uh, situations that have that have come about. Um, I'm sure you've seen like Purdue doing the income share agreements where you, you know you get to go and, and get this yeah. certain amount from the school but for the five years after graduation X percentage of your income goes back to the university um, which is an interesting um, situation and then the the med school up in New York that's free um, do you see any creative structures like that or government assistance and then also just thinking about apprenticeships you know we had I'll never forget the story of an electrician that came in put in an outlet in our house we had to wait two and a half weeks for him to have time to come in I think he charges like $250 for it and I just got to be chatting with him and and you know he he was just so proud of himself and as he should be. And he was saying, you know, I make six figures and, you know, I'm an electrician, but there's such a demand for my need. Um, I can kind of charge whatever I want. Um, how does all that play into the whole college dynamic into the future? You know, it, it's, it's tough for me to, to um, comment on that. Cause I know I, I, <laughs> I I've told people, even though I've, I, I, by on relative standards, I'd be a pretty educated guy. 
um, I, I could have been happy doing any number of things, in, including being a tradesman. I, um, mm -hmm. um, I just, that's just not, <laughs> that's not where God had me uh, placed. And, and I'm, uh, right. but I, you know, I could have found, you know, I've said all along my, um, the thing that mattered most to me was, was making a difference. And, you know, I could imagine doing that in the trades, um, mm -hmm. uh, rather than being a college president. Um, so I, I, you know, I, I, I'm real comfortable in imagining people being happy and, and contributing in an important way, doing any number of things. Here's the difference. If you think about, so what's the value of education? Um, I've never thought it was about getting a job. It was much more about getting a life. And so to be an educated person is to be able to be educated again and again and again. That's its real value. And so for me, um, the, the, the need to have that capacity has never been more current. And it might be that somebody with a master's degree or even a PhD finds himself or herself um, interested in being a tradesman for a while. Why not? I could do that right now. I actually, uh, I've still got about half the tools I need um, to, be able, to be able to make stuff. And, and I've, I've often right. said when I stopped being college president on the 1st of July um, this summer, um, I, I may decide to, to make stuff. I've always wished and to, to be able to have time to do more of that. Who's to say? And um, mm -hmm. so I don't, I don't see these things in competition with each other as much as others do. I still think the desire to learn and to know in order to be able to then learn and know again is, is a great gift that you give yourself if you choose to be an educated person. So we've got to figure out a way to convince people that that still makes sense above coming out of high school and picking up a trade and imagine that you may be trapped in that um, for the next 30 to 40 years. Um, yeah. That's not what most people want. Um, if they're honest with themselves and um, and we just got to find a way to make it more affordable as we have tried very hard here at center and other places have as well. And then to get out there and, and sell that. Um, I, so I, you know, I'm, I'm, as you know, at my core, I'm an optimist uh, and I am an optimist about center colleges future. It is not without challenge and are going to have to make smart choices going forward. And some of the choices may um, not suit everybody. Um, but they'll be made, and I think Center has a chance to have a, another 100 years, um, which would take it to its 300th birthday, um, still, still having an impact in the life of the Commonwealth of Kentucky and this nation and our world. That, that's what I believe to be true. I do not think that's going to be true for everybody, Andy, and I, yeah. I feel badly in saying that. Uh, I'm repeating what I said earlier. I think there are some institutions that don't lead with high quality, that are going to go by the wayside. Some private institutions, yeah. independent colleges and universities, and even some publics that there simply yeah. is not a need for, and they're going to have to be repurposed. Yeah, I think that it's an interesting comment that you made. I can remember back to being at Center, and you know, one of the first week or two on campus, you know, the big point driven home was we're going to teach you how to think. We're going to teach you how to think critically and evaluate and be a deeper thinker. Um, and I look at my peers and, and I think we, a lot of us came away with that as people have from other institutions as well. 
Um, but that value, no matter what your skill set is, that you ultimately in your career work for, having the ability to to analyze and and, and think through situations, um, it, it, no matter what you do, it's it's a very valuable skill set. And, and to your point, becoming a, a a wiser and and deeper thinker of a human, you know, if there's a college that's not providing a benefit above and beyond, you know, just regurgitating some lecture. Um, I, I agree with you that there, that there are going to be some challenges. Um, so, so knowing that, you know, there's been a lot of political talk about college and how to pay for college and forgiving student loans and, you know, government assistance for the first year, the first two year for, you know, whatnot. Um, what what recommendation would you have? You know, we, we advise a lot of people on college savings and, and whether it's a newborn or whether it's a 15 year old um, or grandchild, you know, we're, we're always uh, talking about college in, in some capacity. What would you do if you had a, a, a newborn baby? Would you still be saving as if you're and, and obviously means are important. Um, but if you had to make a, a decision, as most people do, um, how would you be saving for college? Would you be saving with the mindset of what where we're at today is going to be a similar structure in in you know 18 years from now? Oh, um, hmm. Well, first of all, yeah, I'd be saving. That, that that's the first question. Is it does it matter at all, or do you just kind of lay it off and and imagine we'll, we'll get around to that when we get around to it? No, I, I think. I think the smart money uh, for a family is, is to figure out a way to have some kind of saving in hand uh, for their uh, children's education beyond high school. Um, so that's number one. Number one, you, you make a decision to do it within whatever limits that you can. Now, some people can, you know, do some great things and almost be in a position to allow their, their student to make any choice he or she would make. Um, I don't. I don't think that's a requirement for everybody, um, but I think they should save. Second thing is, um, I think it is fair to say that the the relative cost of higher education, let's say 18 years out, let's pick out that newborn uh, little boy or girl, and their their interest in going off to college the fall of their 18th year. Um, mm -hmm. I, I think on a relative basis, college will be cheaper then than it is now on a relative basis. Most colleges smartened up some years ago, and they have been going up at a rate less than inflation for the last number of years. At Center College, that goes back um, more than a decade, actually about a decade and a half now. Fifteen years ago, I got in the middle of it. I said, we're not going to go up any more than inflation, which is why up against much of our competition, we're ten and fifteen and $20,000 less per year, not over four per year. And... Um, mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm proud that we did that. Uh, I think that's going to become the norm, where you, colleges don't allow themselves to, to get uh, selfish, even if they could do it to their population, they choose not to. Um, so I think that's good news for the American public, but they still need to save. And then the second part of this is, um, it won't surprise you, uh, some of the uh, federal involvement in, in how that might be helped. Um, I do think that the federal and state aid needs to keep play, pace with inflation um, and maybe even outdistance it a little bit. But this idea of free college uh, to, to me is a bad idea on, on a couple different levels. Number one, I, I don't think it's really possible. 
Um, number two, um, if, if you don't have any skin in the game, the last time I checked, um, you don't behave the same way. And, um, mm -hmm. and I'm not wanting to be unkind to these 18-year-olds who will make their way off to some kind of post-secondary education, and it's all paid for, because some of them would behave right. But most of the people I know at any age, whether they're a child, a young adult, or a more senior adult, if you don't have some skin in the game, you don't take it with the same level of seriousness at all. And so this idea that it ought to cost something to go to to go to a community college, to go to a four-year institution, to go to a graduate professional college of some sort. Um, I think this idea that you got to have skin in the game uh, makes sense at every level, and I hope that that will be true 15, 20 years out. Yeah, no, I would agree with that comment completely. Well, President Rouse, this has been great. Um, just as we finish up, um, you know, talking about center and, and we've talked about center a lot and, you know, I, I've loved my experience there and I'm, I'm very biased. Um, but as, as you discuss the, the liberal arts education and whatnot, touch a little bit on, you know, what, I know there's, there's a lot of, um, pushback sometimes about going to a private school and, and whatnot. Just in, from, your, from your perspective, what's the value if, if you're looking at a state school um, versus a, a school like Center College? Um, so just an opportunity to kind of allow you to touch on that as we conclude. Okay. Well, thank you, Andy. This will, be, this will sound a little bit like a sales pitch. And if it does, <laughs> I don't even apologize. Um, <laughs> So why, why place, uh, choose a place like Center? Because um, you can go get an education at a lot of different places. Um, I think what happens here is that your life has changed. It's not just about picking up knowledge and understanding concepts and being able to, to be smarter. It's about having your life changed. Um, I think that is more likely to happen at a smaller residential college like Center, uh, where you acquire work habits, uh, a sense of what it is to be a global citizen, what it is to, to be a, a thinker-doer uh, that is simply more profound and intentional. And, um, and that's what goes on here. You know, our graduation rate here over four years is about 85%. That puts us in the top percentile in America. Um, the quality of what happens here, you know, it sounds self-serving, but it's simply better. How much better? Um, depending on the student, a lot better. And I think uh, I'll, I'll finish with what I started, that coming off to Center College is a choice by the young person and his or her family uh, to go have the trajectory of that young life changed for good and forever. That's what goes on here. And if that's what you're interested in, then Center College gets on your short list and you come down and you visit and you convince yourself that that's what you want, and then you go to work with us and figure out how you'll pay for it, and then we make that possible. And then four years later, not five, not six, you pop out the door, and your expectation, and the expectation for you is to go out and make a difference for good with your life and work and service over the next 50 years. That's what we do here. Um, that's what we claim to do here, and I am confident that Center College delivers on that promise and it will deliver on that promise going forward. That's more than you asked for. 
<laughs> I like it, but that but that's what I was hoping for. Um, well, let me put you on the spot for one last thing. Um, yeah. Just as we conclude, you know, my last piece of of, of question to you is: you are one of the um, people that I look up to the most. What would be one insightful, impactful piece you could leave us with? Just uh, you know, especially in this time. Um, to, to be a better person, to serve others better. Um, if you could just leave one piece of advice, what would that be? I am, I am at my core an optimist of the first order. I'm, I think I'm a realist, but I'm an optimist without apology. And um, in this very, very difficult time, not just for our communities, but our nation and our world, um, I would remind uh, people of all ages, the sun's coming up. Now, it may be a, a different sun. It may be a. It look. It may look different to us than it did a week ago, a month ago, a year ago. Um, but I am a great believer in the strength of people um, who decide that, regardless of how dark it may seem, at any given moment, the sun's coming up. I believe that to be true. It's been my experience as a person of faith and as a human being uh, that the sun's coming up and I count on that each and every morning. Yeah, I would agree completely with that. I, I think as much as we can scare ourselves into a corner, it's, it's not going to be as bad as we think. It's probably not going to be as good as we think, but we'll, we'll, we'll all get through this time together as with anything in life. Um, so President Roush, I really appreciate the opportunity to chat with you today. Um, this, this has been really insightful, really good information, and we just really appreciate your time.